Hello and welcome to the next episode of our Tilney Investment Podcast. I'm Lucinda Johnson, Investment Manager from Tilney's Birmingham office, and I'm talking with Ben Seeger-Scott, our Head of Multi-Asset Funds, about fundamentals and politics. Before we begin, here is some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. Shall we kick off with an overview of the key themes in markets this month? Um, absolutely, and welcome back, Lucy, our first return host. So clearly you did something right between us the first time. Um, so in terms of what's happened in October, again, the theme is still market fluctuations. We've talked about it repeatedly, about markets being range-bound, and it is just up and down month. There's no clear trend or direction in markets at the time of recording. There's still a couple of days left in October, but markets have so far this month edged up a couple of percent broadly, depending on the markets you look at, really led by emerging markets, Asia-Pacific, uh, including Japan. The US is up a couple of percent. That's actually been enough. It's been widely reported that the S&P 500 has just eked out fresh all-time highs. Again, the theme being fresh highs in markets are not being associated with huge fanfare. It's more ticking up, really climbing a wall of worry overall. So that's what's happened in terms of major equity indices. Unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, sterling's also had a rally. So we've moved from around $120 uh, to the pound up to the 130 range. That unfortunately has wiped out most of those gains for people holding overseas exposures. And the reverse side of positive period in equities has been the reverse in bonds. If you look at the 10-year government bond, that yield is up around 20 basis points. Now the 10-year yield uh, around 0.70% overall. And I think that's important. What we are starting to see, and I think we have highlighted it before, a lot of people know or believe they know that equities and bonds are negatively correlated. And I think it is important to re-highlight one of the themes from earlier this year, that the, that correlation moves around quite a lot. So when you have inflation concerns or monetary policy come into play, they tend to move together and then you get a lag. Actually, if your monetary policy, particularly stimulus, has worked, you get a lag where they tend to move together. Then they start moving in opposite directions as the consequence of that stimulus really starts to come through. But the general theme has been, given the background of politics, so the trade war, Brexit and some other developments, we've really had a strong sentiment in market pushing valuations higher. Unfortunately, fundamentals have gone the other way and we're seeing a little bit of a disconnect between the two at the moment. Thanks, Ben. I mean, sort of you finished up there with speaking about the, sort of the, the disconnect between markets and, and fundamentals. What are the fundamentals showing us at the moment and how might this have impacted investors going forward? Well, absolutely. Uh, sentiment is really having almost a feedback loop and we're trying to, to distinguish between what is driving markets. Sentiment in the short term drives a lot of the noise. Markets become more positive or more negative. That comes up in valuations. But as we look at the fundamentals, there are many different aspects. Perhaps the two most common and the, and the easiest to cover are earnings expectations and, and business surveys. And starting with earnings, 
We started the year with pretty robust earnings expectations. Around the beginning of the year, we had mid to high single digits percentage terms growth in earnings expectations. Those have evaporated through the year, really reflecting some of the concerns and business uncertainties. Effectively, in the US, uh, growth expectations have flatlined. The world overall, there's a small negative. At the moment, it's about minus 1.9%. Not huge, but falling earnings expectations aren't particularly positive. And in the UK, they've fallen even further, particularly in October. So currently, earnings are expected to be minus 4.3% down on where they were last year. And that's based on consensus analyst estimates. So earnings are looking a little bit challenged. At the same time, we've talked before, purchasing manager indices. These are business surveys effectively saying, do you think the future is going to be better or worse than the past? And those have continued to deteriorate. Manufacturing uh, measures are appearing to bottom out, but they're still below the, the critical break-even level. So 50 is your break-even. Global manufacturing PMIs at the moment are sitting around about 497 uh, um, which is just in contractionary territory, bottoming out, but still not positive. Of more concern, we're seeing services start to fall. And historically, it's been uh, manufacturing has been the area hit first, and then services has remained relatively robust. It's a lot more, uh, it's much less uh, tied in with, with the global trade situation. Now we're seeing a bleed over from the negatives in manufacturing starting to impact services. So that's um, a bit of a concern. And indeed, in October, one of the US measures, so a measure from the Inst Institute for Supply Management, their uh, manufacturing PMI dipped to 47.8, which is a decade low. And particularly within that, there were concerns around payroll and uh, unemployment figures. And that's a bit of a challenge because it's been the consumer buoyed by positive real wage growth that's really held up the economy. So both those measures are deteriorating just as markets are pushing, particularly in the US, fresh all-time highs. So how do we reconcile this disconnect between market pricing and the fundamentals? Well, really, <clears throat> it comes down to the feedback loops that you have throughout markets. And I think potentially we, we might be witnessing the reverse of what we've seen before. Businesses tend to be a little bit more cautious. And the way these feedback patterns happen... Um, often when you have fluctuations in sentiment, markets get positive or negative, reflecting very short-term movements. And businesses look through that noise. Uh, businesses are used to, to that level of uncertainty. The challenge you have is when you start to have uh, a trend and a long-term level of uncertainty, the key factors recently being the trade war and Brexit, you start to get these concerns become entrenched. And then they move from being just broad concerns but not really impacting fundamentals then they start going through, for example, business planning meetings. Then they start manifesting in the real world. If you're a business and you're starting to get concerned by the outlook, that manifests when you say, OK, let's cut back our, our plans to build more factories. Let's cut back our plans to hire more staff. And then that starts to have a material impact. And as you start to have those impacts, if you have less hiring, less strong wage increases, that translates into less money in people's pockets. That translates to less uh, less purchasing and, and retail sales and so forth. So it really becomes a feedback loop. And I think what the position we're at at the moment is businesses being cautious have remained exceptionally cautious, even as some of the short-term measures have started to pick up. So what we're really seeing is the market looking at the developments, potentially arguing that resolution to the, the trade conflict, some sort of resolution on Brexit to avoid a catastrophic no deal, a disorderly exit from the EU could be enough. 
if it's sustained, to reassure businesses. If you have fiscal stimulus that we talked about last time, that could be enough to really swing, uh, swing the dial on this. The question is, are we so far along that effectively there's nothing that's going to help us escape? Is it too entrenched? Or are we at the tipping point where if there is enough pos positivity, then you could see businesses turn those around. So we're almost seeing the market sentiment acting uh, as a bit of a leading indicator for what may happen in the fundamentals. You've spoken about a sort of softening of, of monetary policy um, and the limitations of this. What is your current outlook for interest rates? Well, you're, you're exactly right. There's not much further that interest rates can go. This month, we're, we're having the handover from Mario Draghi to Christine Lagarde, the European Central Bank. And they've been as clear as you can without spooking markets that we're, we're running to the end of the road. Um, that said, a, a couple of the key measures, particularly in the US, uh, at the time of recording, it is before the uh, October Federal Reserve monetary policy meeting. The expectation is greater than 90%. We'll see another quarter point cut to a new range of between one and a half and 1.75. And markets expect the US to cut one more time by the end of this year and effectively level it out there. I mean, that's going to be four cuts in the space of a year. That's quite aggressive from the Fed. Uh, and that's really what's helping support markets, that globally sensitive US rate. A little bit close to home in the UK, actually, it's gone the other way. Interest rate cuts are less likely there was some expectation that the UK might have to cut rates either later this year or the beginning of next year. As we're starting starting to see more positive movement on the Brexit front, actually that, that likelihood is disappearing. So now it doesn't look like there's going to be any interest rate cuts this year. In fact, it's still less than, just marginally less than 50-50 that next summer we may or may not have a cut. Um, but really not a huge amount of movement in the UK. It's mostly in the US and really Europe it's difficult to see how much further they go from here. As we highlighted last time, it's more likely they will look to pause uh, and bring in potentially fiscal stimulus. Uh, and I think that really does highlight where different economies are in terms of their monetary policy cycle. Many of the reasons that the US has been hiking in previous years is for this very reason. You effectively need to build up your interest rate buffer so you can then cut it to stimulate, which is why they still have some scope to introduce more stimulus Whereas in the UK, we're sort of somewhere between the two. We could stimulate if we need to, but it's getting a little bit desperate. Whereas in Europe, they're at the end of the road. So really, the Fed still has scope for further. So potentially some cuts, more cuts this year and flat in the UK. On a slightly more optimistic note, um, there's been positive signs in terms of you've touched on the global, the global trade wars. Uh, what is the latest on this? And having been burned before, should we be taking any positive news with a slight pinch of salt? Well, you're exactly right. The experience tells us we do need to be careful. Um, and, and the good news, I mean, it's being painted as good news. It is good news relative to the previous situation of de continued deterioration in relations. So thus far, the US and China have agreed what they're calling a phase one deal. The expectation is that should be signed in mid-November at the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation meetings happening in Chile. Um, the deal is effectively there, as you rightly highlight, Previously, though, last-minute miscommunications uh, and attempting to change the deal subtly has led to a complete breakdown. So at the moment, nothing is off the table. There is, though, a clear need, I think, from both economies. In the US, obviously, President Trump is looking towards re-election next year, and we've highlighted why that's probably helping support some sort of deal. China's also experiencing its own slowdown. So the, the, the incentives are aligned on both sides to do some sort of deal. 
Um, it has to be said, though, this deal is less of a positive, let's do a good deal. It's much more in reality, and you, when you look at the details, a pause in deterioration. So in terms of this deal specifically, the US has agreed to not increase any more tariffs, and they've abandoned the planned tariff that was going to take place in October, but they haven't reduced any of those levels overall. And on the flip side, from the, the Chinese point of view, they've given away some easy concessions on intellectual property, but not a huge amount. And there's some questions around enforcement. They're not really addressing the big strategic issues. And there is the argument that whilst it's fairly undeniable that China seems to have been uh, engaged in some sort of uh, intellectual property activity over the last few years, arguably now they are pretty advanced in their own right. So it's unclear how much more uh, potential intellectual property theft accusations can be levelled at them. They've also agreed not to uh, manipulate their currency, which arguably, as we've said before, hasn't really been in their interest. The big effect has been uh, a resumption of bilateral trade. So China's agreed to buy more agricultural products, soybean and pork. But really, these are just going back to pre-trade um, war levels. There's also a strong incentive in China. It actually works very well on both sides. China has a strong demand for soybeans anyway. You might also be aware that uh, China is suffering at the moment. There's been a very large outbreak of African swine fever that's really done a lot of damage to, to pork production in China, which has caused pork prices to spike. So actually, there's a strong incentive for both sides to have this deal. China has the, the problems in terms of its pork supply. And in the US, it works very well for farmers that are a key constituency for Donald Trump. So effectively, all of the elements that are in play, it's about pausing, it's about doing what they both really want to do anyway. It's not that much of a trade deal, but it does leave the door open to further developments. Uh, and obviously, Donald Trump would like to see those that bilateral trade go from being to pre-trade from pre-trade war levels to potentially doubling where it was before to bring in that deficit. And against that, China will see further reductions of the existing tariffs rather than a pause. So it, it's a good starting point. We can see the road ahead. Um, so from that regard, it's positive. But as always, these things can be fickle. and We need to see um, that it gets all the way to, to the deal being signed before I think we become much more positive. Not least because you're dealing with one of the most fickle <laughs> political leaders we've ever seen. So I would take nothing for granted when it comes to him. Um, finally, we've touched upon it. You've mentioned it a couple of times, but we probably should we should address Brexit in a little more detail, although I'm pretty sure we've all heard enough about it over the last month. Um, what are the latest movements and how do you reckon this is impacting markets and, more importantly, our investment strategies? Absolutely. And I'm not going to go into the fine details of, of the politics because I'm sure listeners get that from many other sources. So I'll try and focus mostly on, uh, on the investment outlook. So as we record today, the government has just lost its uh, fixed term Parliament Act vote that requires two thirds to go to an election. Actually, as we're recording, the expectation today is that they'll go for uh, a one line or effectively a one clause bill um, in conjunction with the, the SNP and the Liberals to get an election. So today it looks like we're probably going to have an election in December. Nothing is certain, but that's sort of where, where we're heading. But from an investment point of view, the outlook is for a softer form of Brexit. Now, unless no deal comes back in force, if you go back a month or two, no deal was a much bigger a, a much bigger factor. Now it looks like the Conservatives are going to be campaigning on a deal Brexit. 
the other parties are going to be campaigning on some sort of revoke or second referendum platform. Um, it's probably only the Brexit party potentially that will be going for a harder form. So all of the different um, permutations look like a softer form of Brexit. And that's been supporting sterling. We've seen sterling go from the depths of around 120 to the dollar, and it's back towards 130. And 130 is the break even. Even that looks a little bit low. I think there's still some caution in there. As you highlight, there's a lot of uncertainty and people are wary of moving too quickly. But all of the different outlooks point to a softer form of Brexit, which suggests potentially further upside for sterling. And maybe if we saw more positive signs, we could start to see some more positivity for the UK. We're not there yet, um, but I do think a lot of investors have become too used to overseas equities, particularly doing very well for them. The UK market has struggled a little bit under the uncertainty and that fall in sterling has helped overseas assets. Actually, from peak to, to trough this year, um, sterling was down around 10% relative to the dollar. So that's almost a 10% automatic uplift in your overseas investments. And I think a lot of investors have almost given up on the UK. And the risk is as sterling strengthens, perhaps that, that strategy that's worked very well so far this year needs to be redressed, particularly if, ster if that natural tailwind from falling sterling goes into reverse. So I think the UK is worth looking at closely. We're not quite there yet, but that could potentially impact our strategy over the next 12 to 18 months. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, Ben. Um, we will be back again next month with a new episode. If you have any feedback or questions or comments, please send us an email at podcast at tilney.co.uk. And thanks very much for listening.